0: Thanks very much, Anna. Um, I know that some of you might have imagined Angel to look like that. Um, (laughs) It's great to have him in our congregation. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I forgot to say something. the God's Big Picture, Von Roberts, I don't know if you remember him. We read his book um, together, and we did Bible studies around, uh, around his book, God's Big Picture. Some of you have bought uh, the, the book. He's coming in December 7th through 9th. Um, he's doing many things, God's Big Picture, the Bible overview, that the Bible studies that we've done, and the book that he's written. He's doing a whole seminar around that theme. God's Big Picture for men, God's Picture for ministry. He's doing something for the pastors as well as uh, for small group leaders. There are flyers in the back Dude, Take one with you um, and do plan on coming. I'll probably go to at least two out of these, uh, two out of the four things. Uh, So let me know if you want to come with me. Anyway, the picture, uh, the flyers are in the back. I started this uh, thing with a really bad joke, and so let's pray that it'll get better. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves to speak, um, that you are a speaking God, that you are uh, alive and active, and we pray that you will uh, speak to us uh, this morning, that you will build us up as, as your church and as your people. Lord, help us to really know what it means to be Christians, and help us to know what it means to be your ambassadors, that we may go out and really live for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have a friend who really wanted to be an American ambassador, American diplomat, um, and as you can imagine, there's a rigorous process by which you, ha- through which you have to go through to, be- to become uh, a diplomat, and he didn't actually quite make it in the end. But Paul tells us this astonishing fact in verse 20 that whether we tried or not. Actually, that we are ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors sent out into the world. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ. And this is a great privilege and great honor. I mean, if you were an American ambassador to Hong Kong, you would never forget that identity, would you? It would be something that you carry around with you in all things that you do. We are Christ's ambassadors. But in a survey done in 1993 by George Barnum, um, this is, I'm sorry, American statistics. I don't know what it would be like here, but 27% of American Christians said that, Christian adults said that they are always mindful of the fact that they're ambassadors of Christ, Christ representative. 17% said that they are often aware of this fact. 25% were uh, sometimes conscious of this privilege. The remaining 30%, Of the nation claimed that they rarely or never thought of themselves as Christ's ambassadors, Christ's representatives. And once again, the question is, how about you? How about you? How often do you think of yourselves as ambassadors for Christ? Is it always? Is it often? Is it sometimes? Rarely or never? And I think the problem with some of us is that sometimes we actually actively shun this identity. We don't want it. We want to forget about it. We hide it especially from our colleagues at work because it might affect us. Our friends, our relationships that we have, we hide this fact. Why is this? Why aren't we motivated? Why aren't we always conscious of the fact that we are Christ's ambassadors? And if you're struggling to be one, to be a Christ ambassador in your life, I think Paul would ask the first question What is in your heart? What's in your heart? And did you catch the phrase in verse 12? Verse 12. Um, verse 11 and 12. Um, well in verse 12 he says we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride uh, in what is seen rather than what is in the in what is in the heart We are to take pride for things that is in our hearts, not the outward appearance, What things that can be readily seen. And last week, Paul told us to walk by faith, not by sight. And there are false apostles teaching at this time, boasting about their outward appearance of success and disparaging Paul because he doesn't look like a successful apostle. Paul says he's writing so that they have the privilege of boasting about the important thing that is in the heart, not the outward appearance. The inward thing that drives him in his ministry. This is the thing that he thinks of, Paul thinks of, when he's tired and he doesn't want to get up out of the bed to do ministry. This is the thing that he thinks of when the ministry is wearing him away. He wants to quit and take a permanent vacation. The thing that gets him going, that's something in the heart. And he mentions, I think, a couple of things here. The fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. The first thing is the fear of the Lord. A phrase that's repeated again and again, as you know, in the Old Testament, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um... In the Old Testament, that phrase, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, is really referring to the the, the fact that the wise live their lives knowing that there is God, knowing that there is God, so they have to live in the light of that fact, and the fools say in their hearts, there is no God. And Paul takes that one more step and makes this very clear. What this is about. He says this is talking about the final judgment, fear of the Lord. And we have to go back to last week's sermon and last week's passage in verse 10. He says in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This fear that Paul talks about in verse 11, fear of the Lord, isn't some, it's not awe of God, although there is awe of God um, as well. This is fear of the final judgment. What would happen to us if we don't trust him? Well, in our evaluation, this I think is for the Christian, it's evaluation. But fear of what would happen to others around us, to our friends and family and colleagues when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ and what Jesus will say to them, how that what they will receive, how they will receive what is due to them. He fears for them. That's what he, that's what, that's, that gets him going in the morning. How, unless they let Christ pay for their sins, they will have to answer. They will have to pay for it themselves. He says in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's why he shares the gospel, fear of the Lord. And he uses three words here, right? Persuade implore, appeals. That's why he does this. Implores, persuades, and appeals. And that's why he continues, he ends our section, he ends our reading with uh, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He implores and he appeals there again, quoting Isaiah, in favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's appealing again, yet again to the Corinthians. Now is the time, because there will not always be now. Someday, Jesus will come back. So now is the time. Now is the time of salvation. What's in your heart? What is in your heart? Is fear of the Lord in your heart? Is that one of the things that drives you to do ministry? Fear for, not for our sake, but for the people around us, people that we love. But here, that's not the only thing in his heart. That's not the only thing that he mentions. In fact, um, he goes on to say something else. He talks about God's love, Christ's love. You see, Paul is completely transformed. He lives his life for God for Christ's sake and for other people's sake, for, for the people whom, for whom Christ died. He says that he is beside himself in verse 13 sometimes, and in his right mind sometime. And there's a lot of speculation over, and there are speculation over, over what he means by this, how he's beside himself or in the right mind. But I think that's not, talking about what that exactly is, is not really the point, is it? And Because he's saying that he's sometimes beside himself for Christ. When he's in the right mind, it's for people. For, for the Corinthians, he has become completely, he, his life is about Christ. His life is about the people. He's completely transformed. That's the point. He's become selfless. And the reason is, it's not fear. Although I think that's part of it, but it's not. The, the, the thing that he points to is in verse 14. He gives the reason. He says, for Christ's love. Compels us. For Christ, love compels us. And he talks about the gospel. Because we are convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all died. The reason is the gospel. The reason is Christ. Love. The reason why he's transformed, the reason why he gets up in the morning is because of Christ's love. It's Christ's love that compels him forward. Christ's love that has transformed him. This is why this text, the text that we read, Anel read for us, is littered with uh, the most clear articulations of the gospel anywhere in the Bible, right? One died. We're convinced that one died for all. That's gospel, Verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. And verse 21, For our sake he was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's no other, this is the clearest articulation of the gospel. Christ's love for us, isn't it? That, this this Christ who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel message, the love, God's message of love, Christ's love is a very personal thing. It's a thing that that, that has transformed his life. It's become a personal thing. God isn't just a judge who sits out in the heaven and then tells us what to do and says he will judge us. That's not, God is that, but he's much more. Paul knows that the same God who is the judge came down and became a man. And a man who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is a personal thing for him. And listen to his words in First Timothy. First Timothy. Uh, verses uh, chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen. This is how personal it is for him. He says, "Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners." That's the gospel message, and he continues and says, "Of whom I am the worst, and for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners." Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. This isn't theory. That Jesus Christ died for him is a personal message for him. And that's how he's transformed. That's how his life was turned around. He identifies now Christ's death as his death. And as I thought, thought, thought about what this means, that he died for all, therefore all died, all those who trust him died. I think what he's saying is uh, here is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's the place where all Christians are won over by Christ's love for us. That's the place where we say, Jesus died for me, and now I'm going to live my life for him. It's the death of Jesus Christ, the love of God that gives us the the, the will that transforms our lives to give our lives over to God. So that we don't live selfishly, but we live for Christ and for his sake and for the people for whom he died. He lives for God and for others because love came down and died for him. And his death became the place of his death a place where he says, Lord, have my life because I am the worst of sinners and you have died for me. So what's the motivation for ministry? Fear of God, that's there. But is the love of Christ there? The Christ love that compels us, is it there in your heart? Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand that there is judgment do you understand the fear of God? But more than that, do you understand that the judge became the judged for us? Is that in your heart? So, what's in your heart? Um, but also, as the gospel transforms us, um, he says that we become a new kind of being, right? In fact, Paul says a couple weeks ago that when somebody turns to Christ um it's as if it's equivalent uh, that's equivalent to the miracle of the creation when god says let there be light he said that that god will speak that great uh, the, the, the word in our hearts let there be light in our hearts so we can see christ and paul says it again in our text in verse 17 declaring therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, look, the new has come. And I want to just focus um, on the fact that this is in present tense. Whether you feel like you're an old creation, whether you feel like you're not up for it, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you have decided to follow Jesus, if you've if you've confessed with your mouth and believe it in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that God has poured out His Spirit in you and God has made you a new creation, whether you feel it or not. Some of us are like little babies. Some of us are like three-year-olds. Some of us are like grown-ups and adults and old men who are wise, um, uh, men and women. But no matter how you feel, how old you feel, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You will get there. You are a new creation. And that change of identity is once and for all. That's true. But I don't know if you've, uh, you know, if you have been in a very, very dark room and then you come out, you actually have to learn to see a bit better. We have to fix our vision. We have to learn to see better as the new creation. And in order to serve God as ambassadors of Christ, we must also learn to see things differently, have a new perspective. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in verse 16. Verse 16, when he says, We are not to regard anyone according to a worldly point of view. Think about that. Paul sees things differently now as the new creation. He gave up what was deemed worldly success. At at, at the time when religion was number one in that culture and when he was studying under the the star rabbi and star student, he gave up all of that to become, become an apostle for Christ. And by the worldly standard, he was not a success. The reason why he's writing Second Corinthians, first and second Corinthians was because his ministry was not going well. The Corinthian church was re- rejecting him. Wherever he was going, he was being persecuted. People are turning against him. And this thing about he makes a big deal about how he doesn't get paid, and I, I just thought about that this uh, uh this week a bit. You know, thank you. You pay money. (laughs) I get paid for my ministry. And I thought to myself, you know, if he's worth something, wouldn't somebody have offered to pay him and say, look, your ministry is great. Could you, could you be here with the church? Could you, could you be here? And could you minister? We can pay you to, you know, the thing, he wasn't getting paid for his ministry. Apostle of Christ. I mean, I get paid. Apostle of Christ is not getting paid. Anyway, from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. We are a people who see what's in our heart, what's in the heart. We're a people who walk by faith, not by sight. As we heard last week, we are people who set our eyes on things unseen, things, the heaven that is breaking in onto this uh, onto this world, rather than focusing on the things of this world that are wasting away. We boast about the love of Christ that's in our hearts, that's driving Paul, despite his tired outward appearance and apparent failure in ministry. And Paul says in verse 16 that he also once regarded Christ from a worldly point of view. And Christ, from a worldly point of view, must have been a failure as well. His disciples certainly didn't want him to go to the cross. Because that defied everything that they knew about success. And when he went to the cross, they all left him. From a worldly point of view, he should have worn a crown that's studded with diamonds and jewels not a crown of thorns. I know I, you've heard me talk about the crown of thorns uh, quite a bit. And I love this imagery, the fact that Jesus wore a crown of thorns, and that's the God that we worship. Because when I think of the crown of thorns, I think of the people who are mocking Jesus as they are donning this thing on his head. They're making fun of him. And there's something so wrong about that, that as the creator of them, as our creator goes to his death for them, for us, that these people would mock him and don this crown of thorns upon his head. But you see, I love this imagery because it's also so beautiful. It's so appropriate for Jesus From a worldly point of view, it doesn't make sense, but we are a new creation who sees things differently. We see the beauty of the crown of thorns because we see how fitting that crown is for Him because we know Christ, the King, became our servant. We know that Christ, uh, our King, was the King who washed the disciples' feet. Christ, the King, died for His rebellious subjects. Christ, the King, who loved and served the people who was killing him and mocking him. It shows his love. It shows self-sacrificial love. So, once again, what do you see? What do you see in the world? Do you see the outward appearance? Just the outward appearance. And if you see the outward things, do you see that it is wasting away? Wasting away. Do you see the inward life that's renewed, being being renewed day by day, for those who love and tireless tirelessly work for Him? Do you see that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us that the glory that is not not even worth comparing to what we're going through, what we go through? Have we fixed our eyes on things unseen? We are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Do you have that perspective? If you did, you, you would live differently. You would work differently, wouldn't you? You wouldn't care so much about the worldly wealth or status You would care more about the people around you, wouldn't you? You would love more. You would give more. You would sacrifice more. You would spend time more with other people. You would encourage more. You would do all the things that the costly uh, Christ would do. Um, uh, You would follow Jesus more, wouldn't you? What do you see as Christ's ambassadors, as the new creation And that's the privilege that God has given us. He's made us realize that there is something to be feared, fear of God. He's transformed us by his love, by laying down his life for each one of us. And he gives us the great privilege of carrying his name as his ambassadors. Notice how this was all about what Christ has done for you in verse 18. Paul says in verse 18 that all this is from God. It's he who reconciled us to himself. We didn't contribute to this reconciliation. He brought us to himself in Christ. He then gives us the ministry of reconciliation as a great great privilege. In South Korea... There is a ministry, a branch of government called the Ministry of Unification. It's devoted to bringing the unification of North and the South Korea. Think of church. Think of the church, you and I, as God's kingdom's ministry of reconciliation. We are given the responsibility of running this ministry here on earth. The difference is that the ministry that we're given is not something that we have to accomplish ourselves. It's not we have to go out there and reconcile men to God, people to God. We have to announce the the, the privilege is that we are heralds. We are given the responsibility and go and announce this good news that the salvation has come for them. That in Christ Jesus, God does not count our sin against us that God has brought us to himself in Christ. We are to announce the free gift of grace to the world. We are ambassadors. We're that ambassadors of Christ. And the thing with being ambassadors is that it does come with great responsibility. In, in the words of Spider-Man, the, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I moved to the U.S. when I was 12, um, and uh, when I moved, my dad constantly reminded me that, "Look, son, people are going to make up their minds about Koreans by the way that you behave." And it's true. I mean, in a, uh, I went to a high school with about maybe 12 Kore- uh, 12 Asians in my in, in my in my school um, class of uh, uh, the school of 1100 people, or something like that. Uh, uh, it's a very small percentage. My co- dad constantly remind me that the, my classmates and teachers and, and friends will make up their minds about Korea and Koreans uh, based on what I say and do. And that's the case with all of us as Christ ambassadors. You see, we don't belong in this world. We're sent here. God has chosen you. And now you live in this world as Christ ambassadors and people around us, our family and friends and colleagues, acquaintances, the people that we know will think either more or less of Christ based on what you say and do. And that's a great privilege of showing the world what Jesus is like, what Christ is like. So as ambassadors of Christ, we must, once again, persuade, appeal, and implore. We must tell people that the salvation has come. But also as ambassadors living in foreign land, we must act and live differently as well. People must smell a whiff of the otherworldliness in you, in the way that you live. And the most distinctive mark of being a Christian is this self sacrificial love that Christ has shown us on the cross. And that's what Paul is that's what Paul has been appealing to in the Second Corinthians, right? All the time that what he's saying is I followed Christ's example in loving you self sacrificially at the cost to myself. I have loved you. Are you ambassadors of Christ in your homes? And one of the things that I'm really thankful for, Shatin Church, is actually the. the I think one of the most visible ways of showing self, self-sacrificial love is adoption, and I thank God for all of you who adopt, who have adopted kids, children, children, who have ado- who are doing foster parenting, because that's self-sacrificial love, isn't it? It costs. Money to adopt children. It, more than that, it costs sleepless nights. It costs, I mean, it, costs, it, it, it zaps energy out of you. Ask anybody who has done this. And I praise God for all of you because people are asking. People are asking all around you. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I know that your answer is it's because Christ died for me and has adopted me as his child. And I am his ambassador. I want to show that love for other people. I'm enabled to show that love because Christ has loved me in that way. And this should be happening in our workplaces. We're Christ's ambassadors in our workplaces. I remember hearing a sermon of a man um, in, in, in New York City, a fairly senior man in his firm, apparently this junior, a woman made this fairly big blunder in the firm. And she was gathered to answer for uh, in, in front of all the partners. And this, uh, her boss took the responsibility. And New York City isn't known for mercy and grace. So the shocked woman later found him in, in his office and almost in tears asked him, Why did you do this? Why did you do this? And he talked about how he had been in the company for a long time, and he could ab- uh, absorb some of the blows um, he could take responsibility, and he wouldn 't be fired in that way. But to her, that wasn 't a satisfactory uh, answer because well that 's true, but why? why did you do this and he, when pressed, he told her he told her about Jesus, he told her about how he absorbed his blows. The sin that, that, that was his, and he took that on, and he wants to show that in the workplace. He, he wants to show that for others. And that woman came to church to explore the Christian faith. You are ambassadors of Christ in your workplace, wherever you are, in your schools, wherever you are. And also, very importantly, we are ambassadors together in this church in this church, in Chatin Church, in the church, uh, wherever the church is. And as saints gather together here, more than any other place in the world, people should see the self-sacrificial love of Christ in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we love one another. You know, we talk a lot about experiencing God. And we talk a lot about experiencing God as some spiritual thing. What what we need in this church is otherworldly love that we've experienced in Christ. That's the primary way that the world can know and see. That's the primary way that we can experience the love of God. When we love each other as ambassadors of Christ, not when It's convenient to us. Not only when it's convenient to us. Not only when we have the time. Not only when we have the money. Not when we have some psychological space or whatever. But self-sacrificially. Because that's what Christ has shown for us. And if we can't do it, the world does not have a hope. We must do it here. We must show this love to one another and to the world out there. That's the world's only hope. We are ambassadors of Christ. Through us, people will think more or less of Christ. More than that, some people will accept and reject Christ through us. So examine, let's examine our hearts. What's in our hearts? Is the fear of God there? Fear of the judgment there? Is the love of Christ there? What do you see in this world? Fix your vision. What do you see? Do you see this world wasting away? Do you see the glory that God is achieving through this light and momentary trouble? And what a great privilege that the world will know Jesus through us this week in the things that we say and do. Let's pray.